So I get the privilege of introducing a very good friend of mine. We have been friends for I don't know how long, Russ, many, many, many years. And since, he says 1995. And the funny thing is we both, we both are from the same area, but I met him. My husband and I met him at a conference in Southern California. He was standing in line for a conference, and we realized we were pretty much within the same area here. And we have enjoyed each other's friendship for many, many, many years. And I have to tell you, Russ is one of these people who his heart, he has such a pastoral heart. He has such a loving, caring heart. Um, It's just been a joy um, being his friend. And so why don't you please welcome Russ Folkler tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. And... And joining me today, we have Stephen Carey, who will be reading the scriptures. Wave to, wave to everyone, Stephen. Yay. Yay. So we have a pretty long passage, and the good news is we don't have to get through all of it tonight. I have next Saturday night as well. Yeah, so, so I'm not going to do the speed reading version. <laughs> Um, and so we, we get to kind of, unpa- I wanted to unpack this. This is, this is what I call, Stephen's God Adventure. Uh, we're not talking about this Stephen. <laughs> Although he did have one. Although he, he has, he, we all, we've all had adventures, haven't we? And you know the thing about adventures is when you're in the middle of them, you're not always sure how it's going to turn out, do you? Yeah. And so the subtitle is Welcoming Holy Spirit to Full Access of Our Heart, which fits so well with what Joel and Aletta were singing today too, huh? So as we are going through this, Holy Spirit, I ask that you work in each of our hearts. We want you to have full access and we confess that there there are parts of each of our hearts that tend towards self-protection and just doing what seems safest. But we ask that you, I ask that you work, Holy Spirit, even independently of what I'm saying and I'm happy, Holy Spirit, if you want to just take things in a completely different direction because we belong to you. We belong to you, Father, and you, King Jesus, and you, wonderful Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this is a story of Hesed, or Chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. There you go. That's that's often translated loving kindness. David said, your loving kindness is better than life. And my wife Susan, actually a few months ago, preached on loving kindness. Highly recommended. You may even get to meet her if she shows up. Um, she's coming down from Reading today. But loving kindness, another way of thinking about it in modern parlance is having a secure attachment 
Yeah, and uh, also an enduring love, something that stays, something that just doesn't come and go, but something that stays. And that's the love that Father God has for us, is that loving kindness, chesed kind of love. It's also a story of opposition and slander after blessing, favor, and increase. Have you ever had that experience where things are going great and then all of a sudden, ooh, I guess it's not always going to continue that way for a while, at least for, for a season. It's also a story of leaning upon Holy Spirit for how to respond. To me, what Stephen shared is really the Holy Spirit's brilliant speech through Stephen. And I believe that that, the Holy Spirit was trying to bring a healthy shame message. Have you ever heard of healthy shame? (laughs) Most of us are familiar with toxic shame, right? The kind that just shuts us down and throws us for a loop and makes us feel like nobody wants to be with us. But that's That's not the kind of shame we want. But sometimes we actually need what's called healthy shame, which is where we're doing things that are causing disconnection relationally and people letting us know that we're doing things that we are causing a disconnection and smiling at us and encouraging us to shift so that the relationship can be repaired and we can all enjoy being together again. Does that make sense? That's what I call a healthy shame message. It's also about Holy Spirit helping Stephen to those who were hating him and killing him. You all know about the end of the story, right? At least most of you do. If you don't, I just gave you a spoiler. (laughs) Jesus said to love our enemies. How often do we think about that? Not, most of us, not too often. I have to tell you, that came in handy a few times when I was going through rough spots in my marriage, though. So I said, well, I need to at least love my enemies. And if my wife, even at this point, feels like she's in opposition to me, Lord, help me to love her. That actually came in really handy because I could ask for help for that. Uh, there we are. Thank you, Stephen. And Stephen, um, I'll just kind of nod to you for, for continuing. This is the time. Yes, this is the time. This is this is um, Acts six five through chapter seven verse sixty. We'll probably not get through all of it in the English Standard Version. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, 
and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this is from last week when Chuck McCollum talked about marketplace ministers and deacons. Notice that in, in setting things in good order, which they did in appointing these, these men, men at the time, women, of course, could do these days as well, uh, into, into this, this office of being deacons, of making sure that the widows and others were taken care of properly, the, the Greek-speaking widows and orphans. Right government in the church actually in causes an increase. And that's what they saw, an increase in, in the word of God spreading, in the number of disciples multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. And this is the really interesting thing. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that was really impressive. Because they were recognizing who, that this is the promised one, this is the Messiah, and they wanted the Holy Spirit. Just like we want the Holy Spirit. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So Stephen was more than doing more than waiting on tables, wasn't he? Full of grace and power and doing great wonders and signs among the people. Like Jesus did. Why were these people upset with Stephen? Seems like really good stuff. Well, it comes back to Hezid, Chesed, or missing Chesed, I think. This is from a woman who was on the clinical faculty of Harvard Medical School for 25 years, named Martha Stout. And she wrote, if you take loving kindness, chesed, out of the human brain, there's not much left except the desire to win. And I... I suggest that there was a lack of chesed going on. <laughs> and they were getting tired of Stephen arguing successfully with them when they were trying to dispute with him. And they didn't like the fact he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was, doing, he was getting to do signs and wonders. They wanted to win. And sometimes winning in the human brain is about making others lose, sadly. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the consul. 
And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So what were their accusations towards Stephen? That he was speaking blasphemous words against Moses, blasphemous words against God. Interesting, they put Moses first. Words against the temple, and that Jesus would destroy the temple, and words against the law. Also, uh, in Greek, it's called nomos, which means instructions, and change the customs that Moses had delivered to Israel. So those are the basic accusations they were making. And it will be interesting to see how the Holy Spirit answers that, or if he does. Stay tuned. I also want to... Oops. I'm way ahead of myself. Way ahead of myself. There we go. A face like an angel. And gazing at him, all who sat on the council which is probably the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin, saw his face was like the face of an angel. Well, there's a tie back to Moses, I believe. I I wonder whether he had that glow like Moses had. This is from Exodus. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountains. As he came down from the mountains, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. I suspect Stephen looked a bit like Moses did. So Stephen's finding himself before the Sanhedrin, and Many of you remember Jesus said to the disciples in the book of John, and remember this, when people accuse you before everyone and forcefully drag you before the religious leaders and authorities, sounds like what was happening with Stephen, do not be troubled. Don't worry about defending yourself or be concerned about how to answer their accusations. Simply be confident and allow the spirit of wisdom to access your heart. And he will reveal at that very moment what you are to say to them. Yeah. And this wasn't just for Stephen. It's for all of us. To be able to have such a connection with the Holy Spirit that we can relax and let him give us what to say when we're in those intense situations. And as we go through this, I encourage you to think about things like, or wonder about, what is Holy Spirit doing? What is this about? How are the accusations against Stephen being addressed? Is Holy Spirit seeking to bring conviction and repentance? Jesus said, 
when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me, in Jesus, is their basic sin. And that righteousness comes from above, where I am with where I am with the Father out of their sight and control. That judgment comes, judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. Chapter 7. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Stephen. So the high priest asked asked. Stephen, are these things so? But notice he doesn't go and say, no, this is not true. He goes off on the history of the people of Israel. He starts out honoring them. He says, brothers and fathers. And I think he genuinely had an honor and care for them even though he was accused and standing before this council that could even sentence him to death. So, and right now he's, he's starting out how things happened, God's promises, how God's promises are true. God promised things to Abraham and told him it was going to be quite a while before things were fulfilled. But in 400 years, his children would be back on the land. And there was the covenant of circumcision, one of the customs that, he was, that Stephen was accused of trying to undo. And here he is honoring it and mentioning it. And that has to do with um, 
actually again about sensitivity, about about um, about trust. Go ahead, Stephen. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could not find food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for his sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. I want to comment a little bit about uh, <clears throat> Jesus experienced similar things to uh, to Joseph. He was full of God's favor and wisdom. His brethren, the leaders of the family, were jealous and rejected him, just like the leaders of the of the people of Israel, I think, were jealous and rejected Jesus. And God's plan was to save the children of Israel through him, just like his plan was to save the children of Jacob in, in Egypt at the time through Joseph. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you that you came as God's plan, not just to save the children of Israel, but all people. All people. <clears throat> you may not be able to read the, the text there, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the great Sanhedrin. You all wanted to know, right? You really were really curious, like, who are these guys? <clears throat> well, it's either Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin. That's as far as I can find out. It was the great, this was the great council, the great Sanhedrin at Jerusalem, consisting of the 71 members, scribes, elders, prominent members of the high priestly families, and the high priest, the, who was the president of the assembly. In other words, you had 35 on one side and 35 on the other, and the high priest sat on the chair in, 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 the, in uh, the front, in the middle. The most important causes were brought before this tribunal, inasmuch as the Roman rulers of Judea had left it to the power, left to it the power of trying such cases, and also of pronouncing sentence of death, with the limitation that a capital sentence, meaning a sentence of death, pronounced by the Sanhedrin was not valid unless it was confirmed by the Roman procurator. Seems like they missed that step, as we'll find out later. Also, uh, the great Sanhedrin met in the Hall of Hewn Stones, 
which was in the temple complex. So when they talk about this place, they're talking about where we're meeting right now. Other cities and towns had their own Sanhedrin. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So there was a time of promise, the time of promise for rescuing and setting free the, the, the children of Israel. And also, there's kind of a thread, there'll be a thread here of, of having to sacrifice infants. That'll come up again. In this case, it was forced on them by the Egyptian rulers. But the enemy's always trying to do that, isn't he? When Moses was 40 years old, um, yes, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wrongdoing his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler? And a judge over us. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and he became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, 
there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them, and now I and now come. I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. This is a wonderful summary of a lot of what happened in the in the Old Testament, huh? I wanted to comment briefly about um, Moses. Moses, I think, had a sense uh, of his of this calling on his life, and he saw the situation that his people were suffering under, and he wanted to do something about it. And like a lot of us, his first try didn't turn out so good. <clears throat> have Have you ever? had a sense of that you're called to be somebody or do something and your your uh, your first effort in that direction didn't seem to work out so good i know i know i have <laughs> yeah for for years when i was working for the phone company i i had this feeling actually even before that maybe college that that i was going to be a pastor but i didn't really want to go to seminary that didn't sound like fun <clears throat> no offense to those who have gone through seminary. Bless you. It's awesome to know Hebrew and Greek and other important things. But uh, anyway, I would I would tell my wife, oh, I, I think I think God's calling me to be a pastor, and and she she'd look at my character and shake her head. <laughs> In fact, there she is. You could testify to this. Welcome, Susan. <laughs> Sometimes your wife sounds an awful lot like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so, um, but I did end up counseling people, walking alongside people in my spare time. And, uh, and that's how the Lord trained me. But he also had to deal with some major issues in my heart before I would be a safe person for anyone. So 
I, th I thank God for that too. Yeah. So, so Mo Moses trying to do it, the f his first effort at setting his people free gets rebuked. And he goes off and lives in Midian and becomes basically a shepherd. And then the angel shows up. It's just an awesome story. And God lets him know that God had seen the affliction of the people and their groanings, and he had a plan to take care of that. He, he had similar feelings to Moses about what was going on, but he had a better plan. Much to Moses' chagrin, he was including Moses at that point. And Stephen goes on to say, Holy Spirit through Stephen goes on to say, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both a ruler and redeemer. So again, what, how men respond isn't the last word, is it? And sometimes we, we, we end up with the exact opposite of, of what we think God wants to do happening. I want to look more closely at that phrase, God will raise, when Moses said to the people, God will raise up a prophet like me. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. <clears throat> Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever does not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So the people of Israel, when, when the presence of God came down on Mount, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, were terrified, right? They were, they were like, we can't handle this. And but I think that was actually God's plan A, was, was to tabernacle with his people. But they, they were afraid, and I, I suspect part of it was that they, their hearts had not been purified enough to really be that close to him. And we'll find out a little more about that later. But, and who was that prophet that Moses spoke about? Jesus. That's right. That's right. And so all this so far, the, those questions, those four accusations, and how, how, how is Holy Spirit and Stephen doing with that? Well, he's showing a lot of honor towards Moses, which was the first accusation, wouldn't you say? And God. And also about the receiving of the, or, the living oracles. He's honoring the, the law, the nomos that, that God gave to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So, he, so those three, he's being very clear about, this is, this is good, this is what, uh, what I concur with, what I agree with, what I believe. So he's answering some of the charges. But that was not the main point, I don't think. Go ahead, Stephen.
Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened or what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. That's intense. This, this, this is about when Moses had gone up for 40 days to receive from, from the Lord to meet with him before he came down. As you remember, the, the people of Israel wanted something else, something tangible, something they could relate to. And so they asked Aaron, to to make them a golden calf of God who will go before us. Of course, that greatly grieved the heart of our Heavenly Father. But they made a calf and offered sacrifice and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. And how often do we tend to rejoice in the works of our hands, huh? Yeah, we make something or we do something and We just kind of fall in love with it, don't we? Something else was going on too, though. It says, God turned away and gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven. So when they were in Egypt, were were there other gods and goddesses being worshipped? Oh, yeah. Lots. In the place where they're going, are there going to be gods and goddesses? And a lot of them are, are having to do with the host of heaven. The, the, um, they would look up at the stars and, and believe that those represented deities, right? And there were spiritual beings that were happy to operate through that against the true God. This, the, the next passage, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan, the images that you made to worship. This is from the, the prophet Amos, chapter 5. And there's, um, Moloch can also be translated Melech, which is king. But either way, this is talking about worshiping stars, worshiping false gods. And... Moloch, of course, which is how the Septuagint is translated for that particular word, was a god that they sacrificed children to. There was a there was an image of of metal 
and the head was the head of a cow, and they and there were two hands held held forward, and the and there was fire that was heated up, so the hands got very the middle got very hot, and and people, the priests I think actually placed these babies on top of those metal hands, and there would be a drum beating, so that the parents couldn't hear the cries of the infants, and the infants would then slip through the hands into the fire. So pretty horrible stuff, very horrible stuff, very horrible stuff. And uh, Rephan is probably a, a name, an Assyrian name for the, for the god Saturn. And the, uh, the Egyptians had a form of Saturn called Repha too, so it could be related, related to that. Saturn was, um, was worshipped in lots of different cultures. And there was also child sacrifice involved in that too, sometimes as well as ritual prostitution and other kinds of horrible things. So this is exactly the opposite of who the true God is. And this grieved him greatly. And they were doing this even in the wilderness, which I think is partly why they had a hard time really handling God's presence when he came close. And... And God said through the prophet Amos, I will send you, and I will send you into exile beyond, beyond Babylon. In other words, they were still doing this, in fact, probably worse than during the wilderness time before, before the um, Assyrians and then the uh, Babylonians came. It's shocking to realize that the children of Israel worshipped the host of heaven, the stars and planets and the evil beings that were represented by them. But there was mixture and we see that throughout Israel's history. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So here, Holy Spirit and Stephen are addressing the other accusation about the temple indirectly and he's challenge, Holy Spirit is challenging them about basically the idolatry they've made of the temple but we, we might be tempted to do that too it was a magnificent complex and it was the pride of the whole nation and so they identified with it like we can identify with make an identification with something that that is grand and glorious and makes us feel greater about ourselves. 
while the temple was a continuation of the tent of witness or the tent of meeting in which the true God gave the design to Moses to build, the temple did not contain the fullness of God. The coming of God's son, Jesus, revealed God in a living way, much greater than any, any building, no matter how magnificent, could. But here, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin is being challenged about where they're putting their trust, where they're putting their worship, where they're getting their legitimacy from. And it's about to get a lot more intense. Put the seatbelts on. Oh, you stiff, naked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. We typically read this passage as somebody being really angry. And I encourage Stephen to read it as like a grieved father who is concerned about his children. Because I, I suggest that's how Holy Spirit Father felt. I believe it's what I talked about earlier. It was intended to be a healthy shame message. Like, look at what you're doing. Can't you see what you're doing? Let's go a different direction. And the term... Stiff-necked, you got that first one? You stiff-necked people? That is a term used a lot in the Old Testament. And the, the Hebrew for it is kashe. It means hard, cruel, severe, obstinate. Oh, I have a slide. I can show it to you. <laughs> hard, difficult, severe, fierce, intense, vehement, stubborn which I think is a lot of what's going on here. Stubborn, stiff of neck, stiff-necked, and rigorous in battle. And that was a challenge. God sometimes called the people of Israel in the Old Testament stiff-necked. And you see that depending on what the translation is you're looking at. And I'd like to suggest that stiff-necked in part means uh, a resistance to feeling shame about what you're doing. That you're just going to go on and be tough and do what you want to do. Here's a scripture from Deuteronomy. I need to get the address for that, though. Oh, actually, yes, it's in the next slide after this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear 
the Lord your God, this is Moses speaking, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded you today for your good. It was for their good. Sometimes we think it was for God's good. They were, it, was for, it was for their good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. In other words, he picked them out out of all the, the peoples of the earth. And he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Let's see. There we go. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. That was in what Stephen just said too, huh? And be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So from what Stephen just read from from Acts chapter 7, Stephen and the Holy Spirit are, are harking back to this very passage. When, when Moses was exhorting them not to be stiff-necked and to let their hearts be circumcised. Resistant to shame. A sensitivity to the Holy Spirit means we are sensitive to the life-giving corrections, the healthy shame messages, if you will, the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. A healthy shame message is a message from someone who carries loving kindness, chesed, for us and is calling us to recognize we're doing things that are causing relational disconnection and to repent from them. Yeah. It kind of goes back to the Holy Spirit's work of convicting, right? Yeah. And is our heart sensitive to that or not? I'd like to do an ex- have you invite you all to do an exercise. And you won't need to share this with anyone unless you'd like. Sometimes there are things that we're not ready to share with other people yet. I invite you to thank Father God for his chesed for you, his loving kindness towards you. And ask Holy Spirit for grace for your heart to soften in areas where you've resisted being open-hearted to him. And, And I encourage you then to ask Jesus, the one who rescues and heals us, to highlight an issue or area he wants to help you with, with being able to love someone who feels like an enemy.
if you're on the third part about asking Jesus to highlight an area he wants to help you with, being able to love someone who feels like an enemy, if you didn't get an answer, sometimes it might be our self-protective part that doesn't want to doesn't want to uh, ad- admit to that. <laughs> so it might be easier to ask Holy, ask Jesus, is there someone it would be good for me to forgive? Because that's kind of along the same lines, huh? And just see what comes up. Don't need to go through the files, but just see if an, a, a name or a face floats up before you. can ask Jesus for help. Jesus, help me. Is there something you'd like me to know about that that person or situation that would make it easier for me to forgive them? If you want, you can ask Jesus, what would it look like for me to love that person? And I just want to assure you that doesn't mean you have to trust that person or let them close or necessarily be very vulnerable to them. But Jesus, how do, what does it look like for me to love that person? Sometimes think that as Christians we're supposed to be doormats. But that's not really true. Was Jesus ever a doormat? Never, that I can tell. And yet he laid down his life for those who didn't appreciate him. Thank you, Jesus. I'll give you a couple more minutes. Jesus, you are our shepherd. 
You help us lie down in green pastures and beside still waters. You restore our soul. You also set a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Our cup runneth over. Surely goodness and loving kindness, Chesed, will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. And we'll go on with the rest next week. It just seems feels like a good place to, to stop for today. Yeah. And I'd appreciate some folks from the prayer team coming forward to, to offer to pray for people if you'd like some prayer. So, Jim, are you up to it? Yeah. Shirley and Stephen, Susan, would you be able to pray for a while? And and Marcia, that great. I'm glad you're coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all uh, safe people. Come up and ask for prayer for anything, or just let ask them to give you a blessing. Thank you all for coming, and we just ask for your peace and your. And your comfort and your joy come upon all of us. Lord Jesus, amen.